0: Hello, and welcome to the Emotional Expedition Podcast. I'm Meg Thomas, and if you want to live a more open-hearted, magical life, it all starts with your emotions. This podcast will take you on a journey, helping you to better understand, express, release, and heal your emotions. Let's get exploring. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so grateful you're here, and today's gonna be a little bit different. And I'll be honest, I'm feeling both brave and afraid right now. And this is what vulnerability is it's both. I'm leaning into the vulnerability. I am ready to share a story of mine that I've yet to do publicly. And it's a story that's changed my life, and it's shaped a lot of the last four years. And our beloved Brene Brown said, owning our story and loving ourselves through that process is the bravest thing we'll ever do. And I believe her. And I also need help in doing this. I'm very aware that I have needed some assistance through this process. So, I have called on two incredible, intuitive, empathic, just beautiful souls that are going to help me with this conversation, with this story. My new friend, KJ, who's the host of Stories of Astonishing Light podcast which I will, of course, share the links to. And she is going to be on an upcoming episode of this podcast, so stay tuned for that. And our very beloved Brenda from Waves of Joy podcast, who was on a previous episode. And I have a feeling that this is just the continuation of a story of how the three of us are going to continue to work in each other's lives and co-create and bring some magic into the world. So, all right, I am going to hand it over to the two of you as we navigate our way. Mm, Thank you for that beautiful introduction, Meg. And KJ, I know
1: that you drew a card this morning Would you be willing to share that with
2: us? I am so
0: excited to do it. So, KJ, what card did you draw? Okay. Can you see this? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. It's a tree and it says roots. And is it, what does it say? Reconnection underneath that? Reconnection. Mm -hmm. 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 Roots. Okay, let's Okay.
2: Do it. All right. Root, your reconnection. When we search outside of ourselves for belonging, connection or attachment, we can forget the vast network of power available to us right now, right below our feet. Mm. I'm getting already emotional here and that was the first sentence. Mm. <laughs> This power has always extended from our ancestors, pulsing right through our souls, souls the bottom of our feet. I wanted to uh-huh. make that. There is a potent medicine for you that lives in your blood and bones, waiting mm. to be uncovered. Blood and bones. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Of course. Of course. There are many unseen treasures ready to be unlocked as you return to the power of your familial and cultural ties. I literally have chills. I am Mm. completely shaking from toe to head. Mm. There's more. Oh, yes. Within your lineage and bloodline, there is profound beauty, radiance, and inherent knowledge. This is the time for discovery. Are there parts of your ancestry that you are ignoring because they don't feel as magical or mysterious? Do you feel grief around the fact that you don't know much about your heritage? Maybe you've accepted the idea that only certain cultures carry the medicine that you need. This card is here to hold a mirror up to the potential of all that lies within you. Your roots matter and a journey of continued self-discovery awaits. Mm, That is beautiful, KJ. (laughs) That is the card I pulled this morning.
0: Mm. We can't make this up.
2: No. You can't make it up.
1: And it's so perfect for our journey today. And Meg, KJ and I were talking yesterday about the word potency. Mm. And (laughs) the word potency just continues to come up. And when I think about the story that we're getting ready to tell right now, it is so potent
3: Mm. because it's so relatable. Mm.
2: Mm. Here is a healing affirmation to move with this card and with this summoning. My roots and my medicine are powerful. I honor the fullness of where I've come from. And how this impacts the generations to come.
3: Mm. <laughs> mm. I know. Wow. <laughs> wow.
0: I know. <laughs> yeah. I knew that I might cry if <laughs> I did not anticipate that I would be starting this vulnerable conversation already in that place. And I want to tell you guys a couple fears that I have of doing this and doing this work. And that card, of course, is an indicator of what's to come in this story. My fears of sharing my story is, I'm not going to do it perfectly. So I've had to really let go of some levels of perfectionism. and. Sometimes it's really hard to tell our story without hurting people around us Mm -hmm. that we love. And and I think that's why a lot of us keep a lot of our stories to ourselves, because there's a fear of that, that I may not do this perfectly. I know I'm not going to do it perfectly. And I don't want to hurt those who I love, but I also want to stand in my truth and reclaim this part of me. And both of those things can be true at the same time.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my mm-hmm. intention, why on earth I want to share this story, <laughs> um, is there's a couple of reasons. On a personal level, my word for this year, which of course keeps showing up in every card that I draw. So the card I drew this morning, it's showed up there, which is reclamation, like a reclaiming, mm-hmm. a claiming of this part of myself that I've been denying on some level. So that's it mm-hmm. on the personal level. And why I want to share this publicly is because I don't want anyone to ever have to go through something like this alone. I, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that this story can help connect, can help connect someone maybe with themselves, see themselves in a story. I know that that is a part of my journey is that I'll share as we go into this story of being able to see yourself in someone else's story and just how mm-hmm. freeing how powerful that can feel almost like permission right giving yourself mm-hmm. permission to feel whatever it is and and i think that's the last the other piece of this is by me giving myself permission to share this story maybe it'll inspire someone else to give permission to share a piece of their story or a part of their identity that they haven't yet done so that's, that's what I'm bringing to the table. That's what I'm bringing with me today. Thank you for sharing that so
1: openly and courageously. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say that I know that when we get to the part of this episode where the story takes form, I know many people in my personal life who are experiencing very similar things. And your mission to connect other people in this experience so that they don't feel alone really hits for me. And it's just so
3: courageous. And I want you to know that before we even dive in. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Uh... <laughs> yeah, KJ, you go.
2: Uh, I was just going to say, I've just had this pleasure. This is very fresh because we literally had been speaking and diving deep hours ago, just mere hours ago. And I'll say now what I've been saying since we started the conversation, which is you have provided such light and gentleness and an invitation to me to truly dive into my story, which There are a lot of parallels between us and our stories. And I find myself fortified and standing taller, rooting deeper every time we speak. And I know it's because I'm preparing also to give voice and tell stories. And you're doing that for me. So thank you. Mm,
0: Thank you, KJ. Thank you. So I'll just start at the beginning, which was four years ago, almost. So I'm sharing the timeline just to show how nonlinear healing is and bravery and courage and the space in between those. And I know Brenda and I have spoke of this topic often as well of That space between knowing what to do and then actually doing the thing. Mm -hmm. Uh So, I, Mm. as many of you, if you listen to this podcast, know that I have been struggling with fertility for about six years now. And when I did IVF, which is a surgical procedure, you're under anesthesia. And which also means you require a ride home. So on the day that I did IVF, I had an egg retrieval and my husband was working nights. So he brought me to the clinic, got me all situated and then left me there while my mom came and picked me up. And at this point, I'd been... On my fertility journey for about three years. And my mom said something to me in the car ride home that she had never said or never hinted at before, I had never heard. And here I am in this very spaced out, I had put my sweater on backwards kind of energy of (laughs) just (laughs) got myself in the vehicle. And she said, You know, your dad and I struggled to have you. And we did an IUI which is kind of the precursor before IVF. So IVF is when you actually remove the follicles which you know turn into the egg and can then combine it with sperm which then makes it into an embryo. And IUI is when you just insert the sperm into the female body. And so in that moment, a seed was planted. We didn't, I was way too spaced out to even be able to pull any threads of what What does this mean? Why is this coming out now? Like, what does this mean? And so I didn't say anything. I didn't ask any more questions. Nothing else was offered. But I knew having done IUIs prior to doing IVF that the chance of it working with your partner's sperm is very low. It's like, and this is, you know, 2020 at this point, where maybe a 20% chance of it working. What would it look like in the early 80s? I don't know. And so in that moment, that seed was planted, and I sat with that for one year, for one year. Oh, hmm. <laughs> and this is the hardest part for me, one year before I was willing to break my own heart, one year before I was willing to have the courage to what I already knew to be true, my body already knew the answers. Uh And so about a year later, I called my mom and I paced around my living room following the map of my rug in the living room just the pattern on it Mm -hmm. walking and walking and walking and I dragged this conversation on as long as I possibly could I think it ended up being like 45 minutes which is unusual for the two of us and until I finally said the words is my dad my biological dad and she said no And I'm so very grateful for her in that moment to have told me the truth. Mm -hmm. It is a moment I'm truly in such gratitude over because now that I've heard other people's stories, I know that very often that is not the case, that for people who have carried a secret around for this long, that's not usually the go-to when you're caught off guard in the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's who I am. I'm somebody who is brave enough to break my own heart in order for the truth. Yeah. Mm. That took so much
3: courage. Mm. And you said that you knew
0: in your bones. You just knew. Yeah. But I never knew before. Like a lot of people, now that I've listened to podcasts and heard other people's stories, a lot of people said they knew, you know, their whole life, they knew, they knew something. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that there were some moments, but because my dad died when I was five, I did not mm-hmm. allow them in. It did mm-hmm. not allow. Mm-hmm. That's it. It was how I protected myself. And now looking back at it, I chose when I got married, I chose to keep my dad's name. I did whatever I could to keep these connections to him. And so there was never space for any doubt. This was, yeah, this was never, it was, I didn't know. I wasn't ready to know the truth yet and that's the truth of it and mm-hmm. do i wish my mom told me sooner absolutely like i wish my mom told me sooner but at the same time i also believe in divine timing and i don't i don't believe i was ready for this information sooner
1: mm-hmm. mm. it makes so much sense mm-hmm. because of losing your dad at such a young age i can imagine that you would have wanted to stay tethered to him and that this information, even though it came later in life, would have shaken that. So I'm sure that in that year, between when the seed was planted and the phone call, I'm sure that you were finding ways to feel
3: connected to the person you knew as dad. Yeah. hmm And there's something about the
2: theme of, Roots that we opened up with today, and reconnection. And our favorite word I know just collectively but also individually is as we've talked one on one, all of us, there's um a, a remembering, mm. an acceptance mm. and a remembering, right? Yes, yes, we have a knowing, yes, we have wisdom. and we also have a way of protecting and gently guiding ourselves back to that reconnection and to the remembering. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the paradox of all of this. And so just so I say it out loud, because I don't think I said it, that this means that my dad, my biological dad is a sperm donor. So just to very be clear about who, who this is. Mm. Mm. So the great paradox of it is my body always knew the truth. Mm. Yeah. Can just you talk mind. more about
3: that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think listeners might be wondering, like, what does it look like when your
0: body knows mm. something that your mind doesn't? Mm, I have such goosebumps now. It's, it's in the color of my eyes that I have green eyes and nobody has green eyes. It's that my skin tone is a little bit different than anyone I've seen in my family's. It's, there were always these things, these characteristics, these traits that existed within my body. That those are the pieces that I'm like, oh, it's kind of hindsight where I can look back and now it makes sense. But to be honest, I never once in my entire life had the thought that my dad was not my dad until that moment in time, until my mom shared that. And it was almost as if this, it was time for this secret to be unearthed. And you know what's wild is, I had an astrological reading about three years prior to that happening, and it was the first reading I've ever had in astrology where I had my chart read, and within the first five minutes of being on this call, I have it recorded, so I I know it. He said, you were born on a full moon in Scorpio, so Scorpio is my rising, my moon sign, not my rising, my moon sign. And he said, there is a family secret surrounding your birth and you will be the one to uncover it. Oh. And I and I got off that call and I messaged my mom and I was like, trying to like, you know, pick it apart a little bit. Like, without actually saying any of that because this is not the world she lives in where she would like listen to an astrologer and believe these things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, you know, was anything going on around the time that I was born and, you know, (laughs) around that and just asking what was your relationship with dad like? And yeah, Mm -hmm. nothing. I couldn't get it. I couldn't get anything. So even at that moment, there was nothing. Nothing had seeped in except for just this wild moment with an astrologer that makes sense years later.
3: Mm.
1: <laughs> As someone who gives readings and gets readings, I can tell you that that is the norm where <sighs> some things land immediately and some things
3: take years to land. And then you think, oh, wow, that happened. Mm. And I'm struck again by timing. Mm.
2: You asked questions directly Mm. where it could have been a stage or an, well, it was, it was an invitation for those first seedlings to emerge. And they didn't, as you said. Uh. Maybe like you had said, maybe there hadn't been some preparation that needed to be done for you to be able to resource and be ready for when it lands and you could hear it. Yeah. And maybe when your mom could share it too.
1: Thank you. I was wondering about that piece as well. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering about how much courage you've shown Mm -hmm. in your fertility journey that may have permissioned and normalized
0: her journey. Mm-hmm.
1: You may have been part of her healing, which enabled her
0: to plant the seed. Yeah. Wow. That feels yeah, really... I've, that. Mm-hmm. I have not drawn that connection. And and I also think that's the power of shame. Mm-hmm. That... Mm-hmm. Shame needs three things to survive, which is secrecy, judgment about whatever it is, and silence. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so my mom had been keeping this secret for, I think, 36 years at that point. And I don't blame her for that. And I also, because I'm in the fertility world myself, I have not struggled with that I was conceived this way Mm -hmm. at all. Like That is a thing for a lot of donor-conceived people, and I am not carrying that. That's, I think, probably being in the fertility world for a few years ahead. I know just how powerful the desire to have a child is. And one of the hardest things for me is that my mom saw me struggling and suffering. And this secret, this shame that she carried around this was bigger than her desire to connect with me about a Mm -hmm. path we've both walked. So for me, it's like a missed opportunity of connection. And this is what the industry, I was born in 1983, so I was conceived in 1982, and the first IVF baby was 1979. And
3: Mm.
0: they were all sorts of labels. It was, you're a test tube baby. There was so Mm -hmm. much shame around that process, which actually makes me admire my mom so much because I'm going through the fertility world in a different time in a different era when things are much more open. These are the things where I'm like, ooh, she's her astrological sign is Aquarius. These are the moments where I can see that Aquarius, that Aquarian energy of doing something different out of the norm. Mm -hmm. So I actually see her as wildly courageous for going down this path. The desire to become a mother has brought me places I never thought it would bring me. Me being somebody who doesn't like to take Tylenol and drinks green juice and doesn't (laughs) go to doctors has brought me into a world of putting artificial hormones into my body and shots and meds and doctors and all of these things. So I know how powerful the desire to become a mother is. And I can see that that was in my mom's story, that she wanted this so badly. And back then, they would say, do not tell your children. Do not tell them. They would even go as far—I don't believe that this happened at the clinic that I was conceived at— but they would go as far as mixing the sperm donor sperm with the father, with the the dad's mm-hmm. sperm— Because mostly Mm -hmm. at this time, it was for heterosexual couples who were struggling to conceive back in the late 70s, early 80s. And they would mix the sperm together so we could have that dad walk away knowing there was a chance it was his. Mm -hmm. Like, isn't Mm -hmm. that wild? Mm -hmm. So the industry was built on secrecy and it's very different than. The adoption world, they started much sooner being able to say as a whole collective, not, you know, as individuals, but as a, a collective, they would say, you know, when you're, and, and if, if you can speak on this, KJ, if you know, they say, you know, tell your children they're adopted, right? With sperm donor babies, they were not saying that. They mm-hmm. were saying that at all.
3: Mm Hmm. Yeah,
0: it's funny because that was uh, we had brought up that
2: that thread before when we were doing our series. I think it's also going to be a continued series, and the three of us. I just feel like this is just a a catalyst. Really, it's just a Mm -hmm. pivotal jumping-off point. And so I had a minute to think about that question about. When should we know? When are we told? And as a child of adoption myself, it wasn't for me, my my case is that it wasn't a surprise because I looked physically, I had physical traits that were so very different from my adoptive family. So it wasn't a mystery that I was adopted, but what was I think really impactful was that we, we didn't normalize or explore or expand in what we did notice. So it still was, it was still known that I was adopted. I had obviously different birth parents than my sibling, but we never talked about it. And so there was an element of like Maybe it really just didn't happen, even though I have evidence to the contrary. Mm -hmm. Uh Maybe it's not. I think the intention was that it's, let's keep it on the down low. If we don't talk about it, we won't maybe need to confront some uncomfortable feelings. But what Uh that taught me and what that messaging was, and which is what I think you're getting at Meg, is that, well, then how do I know what I know? How do I know that my body is, my body, my instincts, my intuition is saying, but there's something and no one's talking about it. So did I, am I making it up? Is it a big deal? Should somebody talk about it? And not having the model or rather the model of secrecy, keep it low, keep it hidden became intrinsic. So. That brings to mind a question for me
1: that maybe you could each answer. I'm empathizing with you, putting myself in your position. And I'm wondering if there's a lingering question, is there more I don't know?
3: Mm. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Mm.
0: (laughs) That's just a little question. (laughs) <laughs>
2: uh, That's part twenty-five uh, that we will to. Yes,
0: <laughs> awesome. There, uh, definitely, there is more that I do not know and do not understand fully. Mm-hmm. Even I heard this term when I started researching because this is who I am. I just am like, oh, I need to understand this better, and. It's called genetic mirroring. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so it is this idea that you have things reflected back to you. So it's like, oh, I have big thighs. And I've seen that all the women in my family have big thighs. So it makes sense to me versus it being never reflected back to you. So for me... I look a lot like my mom, and I look a lot like my little sister, and my hands look like my mom's, who look like my grandma's. And I can see how my aunts and uncles, and I can see how all of those pieces work together, how all of us, including myself, have pieces of that lineage from a physical characteristics. And then there's this other part of me that I don't quite understand yet i don't i don't know i don't Mm -hmm. know what that looks and feels like and i've started and which we'll share in a little while i've started to Mm -hmm. have some feedback and some validation of that but there's still so much unknown that doesn't make sense to me what about you kj Mm -hmm.
2: Oh, I was just actually marveling at the beautiful timing of your question, Brenda, uh, because it's a beautiful bridge to what Meg is going to speak to. And if it's okay, I'd I'd like to open up and move in that direction in answering your question, Brenda, which is I received also some feedback that I had no idea, but then when I heard it, it made sense. So this is pre-23andMe, this is pre-Ancestry.com, but I received in my hands, my physical hands, a short note that the social worker who dealt with my and managed my adoption, she wrote it. She wrote a note to me thinking I'd like to maybe know something but I didn't get that note until I was 21 years old. Mm. And it's again, another story. And I think it also interweaves with, it is parallel with your story, Meg, but I was 21 years up until that point going, where did I learn or where did my love of singing come from? Where did this dreamy sort of creative side of me come from that doesn't seem to be the case in my, obviously, but, but in, in my surrounding family. And the, the social worker's note said exactly that. She had said, let me tell you a little bit about your mother. She's Filipina. She loves to write letters. She loves to sing. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm.
3: And I was just like, I know. Thank mm. you.
2: Thank you, Mm. right? And then there was only one line, but it is so significant. My biological father, nobody really knows much about except that he's Puerto Rican. And that helped me kind of understand why my hair texture is a little different than most of the Filipino people I've met. Not all, but most. I have naturally curly, coarse, coarse hair while most of the other Filipino people I've um, encountered have really straight, straight, smooth, shiny, thin hair, and I have coarse, curly hair at its core, and I was just like, oh, okay, okay. Mm. Uh uh So yes, yes, there is question always of, but what else, what more? Uh-huh, and right. I've
0: never s- spent so much time thinking about nature versus nurture until right until this. <laughs> right. It's never been something that had fascinated me before. It, but when it becomes your own story, it's like, oh, yeah. tell me more about that. And Meg, you like you
2: said, you had some feedback, real time, yeah, yes. feedback.
0: Yeah, so I'll walk you through the next because it didn't happen right away. So the initial seed was planted. I waited one year to gather up the courage. And I just emphasize this over and over again that wherever you are in whatever part of your story, your journey, it doesn't have to be my story. <laughs> wherever, maybe it's leaving a job or a marriage or starting a business. That there's this time between the knowing and the doing. Mm -hmm. And so I waited a year. I then spent almost two years, almost two years really, because I wasn't grieving in that first year when the seed was planted, as long as it was still unknown and unconfirmed, Mm -hmm. I was not grieving. But when Mm -hmm. I finally, Asked the question, I experienced just a tremendous amount of grief. It was as if every story, every strand, every cord that I had connected to my dad was just all of a sudden unraveled. And it was like the things that I were so silly that I had held on to. And I think a part of it was losing him at five years old was it was like oh you love to eat cheese you must be a thomas oh you sweat a lot your face gets red like you must be a thomas like these were absurd silly things that connected me to my dad and i do have a very deep spiritual connection to him he has given me signs my whole life and so none of that was touched none of that changed and that was what was really challenging was the people in my family were just giving me this feedback of nothing has changed we don't know why this matters like nothing has changed mm-hmm. like your dad wanted mm-hmm. you he wanted you he was your dad and nothing has changed and that was true that was true my dad is my dad and will forever be my dad and I believe that my soul chose him to be my dad. That's my belief system mm-hmm. of how these souls come to earth. And and I also, my soul chose to have this experience as well. So I was feeling so conflicted that every, and mm, what I was feeling towards my mom was a betrayal, which I've never felt before from her. She's the person I trusted most. And that's why language matters. That's why I am the host of this podcast and putting language <laughs> to the emotions because until I understood what it was I was feeling, I was confused and conflicted. And it was like, okay, well, the reality is, is there are ways to move through betrayal. And once you have the language to it, it's accountability, uh-huh. it's immense. it's all of that. It's being able to speak yes. without getting defensive but what happened mm-hmm. were there were a lot of mini betrayals all around me i d- had no idea until i opened the box how many other questions and things would come at me which was who else knew and all of my aunts and uncles knew my grandparents knew my stepdad who mm-hmm. came into the picture later knew and that was really hard that -hmm. Other people had more of a right to know what was going on in my own body than I did. And Mm. it took me a while to be able to forgive. And I'm still working on it. Like I'm still not completely there. I will just be honest that it's hard to move past things like this when, like KJ mentioned, nothing is normalized in your family. So it's like many of us have grown up in homes where emotions are not talked about. And Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, if we don't talk about this or we don't make it a big deal, we can all just get Mm -hmm. on with it. And I'm always the one over here, like picking up rocks and looking underneath them and flipping them and looking for crystals in them. And it's like, (laughs) well, let me really inspect this and dig a little deeper. and so. It's not a conversation that people really want to have with me. So at Mm -hmm. the same time, I was feeling nothing had changed and everything had changed. I will always be Mm -hmm. my father's daughter. But now there's this other part of me that I don't understand. Like that question you asked, Brenda, of what else? What are these things? Those are the pieces that I still don't understand and I'm just starting to put them together, but I've had to do it essentially alone because that's not what we do in my family.
3: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And I know many people can relate to this. I don't want to lose my family. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, these are some of the rules of our family. (laughs) And I've had to do this this healing part on my own for the last 2 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So much compassion for you
1: being on this journey and and the courage that you show and the commitment to your family is remarkable. And I just want to really acknowledge that that it is felt mm-hmm. by anyone who knows you or listens to you that you deeply love Your family, Mm -hmm. and that you want this forgiveness more than just about anything else. And it's not there yet. And that's okay because just the willingness
0: to be forgiving is enough right now. And I'll be completely transparent. I haven't done it perfectly. A part of me, Mm. which I've shared on this podcast, is when I cannot go to that emotional well, I withdraw. So mm-hmm, a part mm-hmm. of me being able to initially, what I did was I stepped back. And mm-hmm. so if you were to ask my family, they would not see this as the deep compassion and love that I have for them. But in order in order to stay connected and not burn down every bridge, I had to step back and create some new boundaries and then be able to go back into it. And so, yeah, it's not mm-hmm. hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been linear, but mm. this has been a part of my journey. I think
1: it sounds like you've done a beautiful job. As somebody who teaches boundaries, taking the time that you needed to get clear on why you needed a boundary and what it should look like is wise, mm-hmm. and it's
3: loving. Mm-hmm.
2: We spoke briefly, and I can add a little more information. I, I left it sort of cryptically because I was like, "Let me double check on my <laughs> on my resources." But you and I spoke the other day, Meg, about shame. Yeah, and you you brought it up again mm-hmm. in this context as well. And as we know, Brene Brown does a lot of work in shame and vulnerability, and I have just stumbled upon recently actually right as we are having these conversations it's not it's perfect timing of course of some more research around shame responses and shame reactions so in the same way that our bodies respond to stress or traumatic memory there's the fight flight fawn freeze and so on and so forth there are actually more but those are the the rock stars in the moment there are actually shame responses and phases as well, similarly. And you actually, without even knowing it, this is how in tuned with your body you are, Meg. You named some of the the cyclical phases of shame response. Hmm. There is a denial. There is a fawning and a clinging in which we try to keep connection no matter what. And what that might mean is that we're not accessing our anger or accessing some of the other appropriate, I'm using finger, finger quotes, appropriate reactions, right? So we keep ourselves from being angry or rageful because we just want to stay connected and we're only thinking about preservation of others, our loved ones. And then you mentioned that. How is it that I can move through this journey and not somehow hurt my family, hurt my loved ones? So there's this part of us that also sort of holds back. You had said withdraw. That's another, another reaction. We withdraw and pull in for a number of different reasons, protection of others, but also so you can reassess. And I think that's really, really important. And I think that's what you're doing right now, or you're moving out of that because you're able to reassess, but also review and check back in with what you actually know is true now. You're able to match up experiences and say, oh, I was right. My intuition Uh was right. That pause that I had for a second of like, oh, so not everybody in the family has quite this penchant for cheese, or maybe they do, or the green eyes, or the palette of my skin, or the, the color of my, 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 my skin tone, my palette. Those are right. Those are right pauses. And now you get to pull back out and say, right, 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 right. Okay. That was okay. And now you're in the place of re-engagement. So that's another part of the reaction cycle for shame. You're re-engaging and actually looking through the lens of compassion and humility and vulnerability and a willingness. That's what this conversation's Mm -hmm. about. That's what the conversations have been about the last Mm -hmm. couple of months that you, me, and Brenda have known each other. This is you re-emerging and saying, let's uncover this. Let's engage with this. It's really powerful to witness. It's an honor to witness.
0: It mm. feels so seen right now. I've never heard. I'm going to have to dive into this research because. I'll give you the info. Yes. <laughs> like this. I feel very seen of my own process of my own shame included in mm. this story and, and identity. And before we we are going to have a part 2 <laughs> so we're going to come back and i am going to share the next big part of this story which includes 23 and me but yeah. is there anything <laughs> either you want to say before we we close this this chapter i just want to applaud
1: your courage of asking questions and continuing to be curious and lean in even when it's really uncomfortable. And it just is so brave and so courageous. And you are a light. And I know that there are a lot of people who are going to be listening to this and seeing themselves in your journey and just thank you for your openness and willingness to share both both you and KJ to share your your stories about the way that this feels
3: and mm. it's just remarkable thank you mm. thank you Brenda and the safety that
2: you have been able to develop and create and piece together in this journey you have been able to summon and create an environment in which you feel safe enough to be curious and ask the questions. Mm-hmm. This is a testament to, again, what Brenda was saying. One hundred percent agree. This courageous, this courageousness, and I'm going to call it this like sacred curiosity. This, this willingness to know that there is more, and while it might feel daunting and overwhelming. And it lands in particular places in our bodies, you still lean into it. And with such grace and such compassion, it is just astonishing. Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: Mm. All right. Thank you so much, both of you. And we'll be back in two days for part two of this. I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you for listening. And if you loved this episode, will you please share it with a friend or two? Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts so you're sure to never miss a single episode.